Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 204 DGS. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we have a gentleman who was an air traffic controller here in St. Louis on 9-11 who's currently doing the March to the Arch. He'll join us at the bottom of the hour. Looking forward to that. Um, Gotta give me credit when I... Am a hypocrite. I usually call myself out, and I'm going to call myself out for being a hypocrite right now. Uh, on my notebook, I have written down how tasteless I thought it was uh, as I was going back and forth between CNN and Fox News this morning. The coverage of 9/11 that Fox spent so much time going off on Joe Biden for his pull out of Afghanistan. I just thought time and place. It's 9/11. You're literally showing the people ringing the bells and reading the names and in your little window within a window, you're going off on the current president. And I just thought that was really tasteless. Now, I thought the way Biden did that was a cluster and people probably should have been prosecuted. I'm no fan of that. But I just thought it was really classless. But I'm about to do it, too. Um, I said a couple weeks ago, which was no great genius, that, hey, look, we don't know what's going to happen with the 2024 because Joe Biden, I think, is one fall, one gaffe, one, oh, my God, he is really this old, isn't he, away from not getting the nomination. Uh, and it's my understanding that the G20 and then going to Vietnam was a lot of it to show Look what he can do. Look at this. He's flying 40 hours and he's going, you know, around the world eight times and he's full of vim and vigor. And uh, wow, he 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 looked and sounded really, really weird. Did you guys see much of this? Yeah. Yeah. Do we have some of that sound? Mm -hmm. I, I just think that there are other things on leaders' minds and they respond to what's needed at the time. And look, nobody likes having celebrated international meetings if you don't know what you want at the meeting, if you don't have a game plan. He may have a game plan. He just hasn't shared it with me. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. What did you say about Mr. Lee? Yeah, we talked. We talked about we talked about at the conference overall. We talked about stability. We talked about making sure that the third world, the uh, excuse me, third world, the uh, the the, uh, the southern hemisphere had access to changes, had access 
We, it, it wasn't confrontational at all. You came with thank, thank you, everybody. This ends thank, the count press thanks. conference. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. I mean, thank come you. on. I mean, he was talking about, I know it's a joke, but he talks a lot about, well, I'm just following the orders, my staff, and they told me I have to take five questions, and you're not one of them, and X, Y, Z, and he did the dog face pony soldier mm-hmm. thing again, and it's it's getting it's getting bad. It's getting bad. Yeah, the whole, I'm going to go to bed, I mean, I understand that he traveled a lot, and he was probably jet lagged, and even Fox News' Peter Ducey commented on that, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he just sounded and looked beyond exhausted. And that's going to be hard on anybody, but especially someone in their late 70s who's not uh, super spry to begin with. I mean, it's just taking it to a level that's uncomfortable. I could technically start at quarterback for the Green Bay Packers next week. It would be evident quickly that I should not. And uh, he can technically do what he's doing, but it's quite evident that maybe he should not. Yeah. There's a difference between like a Barack Obama who who is completely with it back when he was president. I'm not saying he's not now, but making that joke like, and with that, I'm going to go to bed. Right. Laugh, right. laugh, right. laugh, laugh. But when he says it like that, yeah. it's, it's like, like, you like you really go, go to bed. bed. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm not like look, he thinks he's already there. I, I'm so on the record. With my feelings on Donald Trump and my feelings on on Joe Biden, I'm not a fan of either one of them, but uh, what the hell? I don't know about you guys, but— Are we here on purpose? I want to ask that. <sighs> how, how, with all of the brains and all of the money on both sides, is this where they wanted to be? And if not, how did we get here? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we have all these conspiracy theories, like, oh, we've been to Mars eight times now. Shut up. When when this is the choice we have, I I just I have a hard time thinking that the geniuses at the RNC and the DNC that this is really what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't, then where did they go wrong? I would make a pretty strong case that it ties into the topic we've talked about a lot. Where it goes wrong is you're not letting any younger candidates take positions of power. They're not getting influence in your 40s and 50s anymore. So what do you have? You have the old guard. The gerontocracy. That's all you have to fall back on because the younger generation of people, I think that's more the problem on the Democratic side. I think just Trump caught everybody off guard. I don't think people expected that to go the way that it did, even people who— I think that's a fair answer. Yeah. So I I think they're different, but they're also both— mistakes in reading the room a little bit mm. on the democratic side i think it's definitely more of the stubborn old guard not letting go and not letting the younger ones step up i think kevin's absolutely right and i think the reason why joe biden is president is because he was someone that we knew and i think the reason why donald trump was president is he was someone that we knew for years and years decades yeah. in the public eye so whenever he said hey i'm willing to do this job and here's my policies we all went oh okay i know that guy I know Joe Biden. He was the vice president. He was Obama's vice president. I I mean, I truly think he was the only person in the field of Democrats in 2020 that could have beat Donald Trump. I felt that from very early in the primary process. And the problem is, like Kevin said, people won't get out of the way. And now we're kind of stuck with he's the only guy we really know. Who's the other person who's a huge star in the Democrat party. Is it Kamala Harris? Because nope. nobody likes her. I have a story in headlines showing her abysmal approval ratings. Mm-hmm. Who else is there to pass the torch to? 
I, I've never been a big fan of Gavin Newsom, um, and I don't have a good reason for it. I think he's just a little too handsome. He's a little too <laughs> a little too Ken doll. I don't like Ken him because he yeah. ate at the French Laundry during the height of the lockdown. Yeah, the big hypocrite telling everybody move. to stay yeah. home. I, and it's but like, but I don't oh, know exactly why. But he's there's he's not. Yeah, but perfect. I saw him interviewed by Chuck Todd uh, yesterday on Meet the Press, and I was like, yeah, he seems like a a smart, straight shooting guy in that interview, and he's clearly kind of the the go to guy. In fact, Chuck Todd kept saying like, what if this? What if that? And even if, like, it's getting too late. Even if Joe Biden today said, you know what, this last trip whooped me. I can't do this. I can't be president. Uh, but you know who'd make a good one's Gavin Newsom. I just don't think he has the juice to do it. No. I mean, he has the, I think the policy stuff is going to be the problem. What he because, would have is he's not Donald Trump. Right, right. For and half the country. I think the policy stuff will be, you'll be he'll be cornered a lot. Well, you're California liberal, and it's, I mean, I think he's going to have a difficult fight on that side yeah. with people that are kind of centrist or on the right, but he is the good communicator. He's really good at the speaking thing. When you hear him in an interview and he's talking about policy issues, he's nailing it. Like, he's good at that. So he's got that thing that Obama had that Clinton had. Mm -hmm. And that, to be honest, in a different way that Trump has also, mm -hmm. he's got the gift of gab. Mm -hmm. um, and that helps. And I think what bothered me a lot about that audio ties into what I'm talking about here is that I don't want the person who's supposed to be the leader being handled. No. Like if I'm the president, I mean, you guys tell me, is this a stupid Wheeler idiot thing? But if I'm the president... You're not telling me anything if you work for me. You're not saying press conference is over. It's over when I say it's over because I'm in control of my faculties and I'm the boss. But he's not able to do that. And that's because don't tell me that wasn't that way for Trump, right? Was anybody going to tell him where his people around him going to be like, no, sir, you've got to go now. And he'd be like, I'll go when I'm ready. I'm the one that decides these things. And yeah. I, I don't know if that's just a weird me thing, but I really dislike that. I don't I don't think it's a weird you thing. I think a lot of people are turned off by that. And part of it is I'm sure he's genuinely tired and he's genuinely just doing what they're telling him to do because he's only got so much gas <laughs> yeah, to get in the what tank. he wants. Yeah. But another part of it is Joe has this he, he just has to be Mr. Charming in his own mind. And he always has to be making a crack. And the whole thing is like, well, I'm just some old white guy. And my <laughs> young staff are really calling the shot. We don't want to hear that, that from the commander in chief. Right. It's no. not funny when it comes from the commander in chief. Right. It's one thing when if you're a so dad doing that. Truth. Yeah. It's one thing when you're like you're at a party and you're a bunch of dads sitting there joking around. Well, I'm not the boss. Whatever. That's mm -hmm. OK. It's not funny, but fine. Whatever. You're the, you're the president. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be in charge. Yeah, I, it's it's uh, it goes so far beyond being a radio show host, you know, like, oh, good content. Like, I'm I'm really scared. Yeah, I, I don't I, I wouldn't go so far as to say, like, this is the low point in the history of the United States, but it's not a great one. Uh, you know, the, this is the choice we have. Um, think what you will about Donald Trump. But the fact is, uh, he is a candidate facing a thousand years in prison. Uh, being charged with including but not limited to uh, basically trying to overthrow the election versus a guy who today is way too old for me, much less than six years. Yeah. That's not a great place. It's no. intimidating for sure. It is. It's frightening. And they couldn't be more opposite in that way or in some ways, right? 
I mean, you've got one who is wants to fight everyone, who's talking about retribution. No, you, that that can't be a presidential idea. Retribution that doesn't. That's not okay. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. That's not okay language to use in the United States. Because no matter what, you are president of every person who lives here. And I'd say the same thing about old Joe, too. You don't get to pick fights. You don't get to do any of that just because it's politics. Real question, though. But is that in our rearview mirror apropos of my chimp analogy? Uh, the good old mm. thing that one tribe of chimps fake fight each other and two tribes of chimps kill each other. And are we now two tribes of chimps and how do we ever get back to being one? Because when you say retribution and personal vengeance cannot be part of a presidential campaign, I agree with you, unless half the country feels exactly the same way you do. Right. And you were their champion. Right. And it seems like they do. And it seems like they do. Well, and I think the dangerous part, or at least when you're when we're talking about this topic, is how do you get away from it? And I would add on to that when everything right now is built to make it worse. And I don't mean intentionally built. I just mean social media is it makes it worse because you're you, you're only in your own bubble. I know all kinds of college studies have looked at if you follow a certain set of people and you're only being exposed to this and you're in one bubble and then the other people are in another bubble and there isn't enough crossing over of ideas, you're, everything is set up to divide. Again, I don't think I'm not talking about conspiracies. I just mean the way that we communicate now divides people as opposed to bringing people mm -hmm. together. Yeah, if I were standing in the booth right now and this were election day, as far as president, uh, did, I, I guess I'd go third party again. I mean, I wouldn't feel good about filling the lever for either of these guys. And sadly, in our current world, that's never going to happen. I mean, it's, never, it's not going to work. Right. Yeah. It's some level of throwing away your vote. Right, but I mean. Even as someone who's a huge fan of there being a third party. When people say, like, oh, you're still throwing away your vote, I'm like, well, you're not wrong. <laughs> Can you think of anything that either of them would be able to do that would get you back? No. <laughs> yeah. That's a great no. point. No. Because as I've said, I agree. as I've said, mm -hmm. either Donald Trump is a terrible, ter terrible person who's a criminal, one of the worst Americans ever to live, or he's been completely railroaded. I don't see a middle ground. And I could be wrong. I'm not a wizard. I'm not God, mm -hmm. so I could be wrong. Maybe he's being completely railroaded in the two-tiered system, and all that is true. But I don't see a middle ground for it. And I'm not a big fan of Joe Biden when he was 50. Mm -hmm. yeah. But my primary problem with him is his age. I don't care who he is, what party he's with, or what he stands for. You, at some point, you're too old for the job. Mm -hmm. Trump's not too old for the job. He's only like three years Younger, but he's... He doesn't have these issues. But no. think about where yeah. was Joe three or four years ago compared to where he is now. Not I mean, again, that's that the... Different. that's What's that? Not that oh, it was, it's quite a bit different now than it was in 2018, 2019. And if we're fast-forwarding to 2027, 2028, you know, we're going ahead five more years. What's the, What does that look like? I mean... I, I think the age is a concern for both, but there's no question that right now Trump has I mean, got his faculties more than Biden does. Sometimes I forget we're doing a radio show because we're doing a radio show. We're here to entertain people. And it's not just by honk, honk, fart noise. I mean, we're engaging people intellectually. But even as I'm listening to his talk, I'm like, oh, this again. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I understand why people out there would be like, oh, I tuned in the Glover show and they're they're doing that thing again where Trump's too dirty and Biden's too old. But I don't know how you get around it. When you talk about presidential politics, what else do you talk about other than that? And how do you not talk about it? Well, I mean, it's not like anyone else spends that much time talking about policy. So would there? I know it's never going to happen. Sorry, dreamland stuff. But would you guys be in favor of an idea where we somehow amend the Constitution, change the laws so that there must be more than one candidate put forth in primary season? You have to have people run against your current, your, your quote unquote president. I've always had my thumb on the scale for letting the American people handle that through the ballot box, but I'm losing faith in that. And so I'm not sure what the next step is. 225 DHS. Uh, at the bottom of the hour, we have a gentleman who was a uh, air traffic controller in St. Louis, I believe, on 9 11. He's uh, as we speak, doing the March to the Arch, and he's going to talk to us as he walks, I guess, in a few minutes. Hear me out on this next point I have. Um, okay, so the guy who's stuck in the cave, who is suffering from this gastrointestinal thing, I in no way uh, think that we shouldn't help him. We should do everything we can. But it fascinates me how we just get fascinated by a person. I could leave right now, and I promise you within three minutes, you guys will back me up, I can find 10 people who are passed out on a sidewalk in downtown St. Louis. Within a block of City Hall. Who may or may not be in extreme medical need, yet will walk right past them. But when someone has an interesting story, it's like, oh, my God, we're going to spend millions of dollars. We're going to uh, bring out every piece of machinery we can possibly find to get this guy out of the cave because it's interesting. Not saying that he shouldn't be helped. He should. I'm just saying that we're weird like that. It's not dissimilar to when the cow falls off the truck on the way to the slaughterhouse. Well, there's no way we can eat him now. Pardon the cow. We got to pardon the cow. I think we value entertainment above all else. So whenever something captivates us like this, it's like put all the time and money and resources into saving this person. Whereas the homeless unhoused situation you're describing is pretty mundane and we're pretty used to it. So might as well pass on by. It's very similar to, you know, we were just talking about politics in the last segment. And I said, we don't really spend that much time talking about policy. No one really does. No one really does. Because Mm -hmm. politics has become so much about the cult of personality and it's about being entertained and it's about arguing about which candidate is weaker and more and less likable. And, you know, it, it just all comes down to superficial things before we even begin to scratch the surface of what actually matters. But we value entertainment above anything else if it's keeping our attention, then that's the most important thing. Sideshows have always been popular, right? I mean, there's a reason why we have all those stories of circuses and all of the sideshow people. We're just people so out that. of balance. Yeah. It is weird, though. You're right that if you get yourself in trouble in a cave or you get lost at sea, something unique and crazy, oh, I mean, we're going to bring everybody out. But like you said. We'll literally launch a C-130 to find you. But if you're just a homeless person who's throwing up on a corner, just don't look at him. Don't look at him. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. And it's not about homeless versus non-homeless. Like, I think Rage summed it up. It's what's, what's interesting. That's what we care about. 
Welcome back, guys. DGS on KMOX 235. So the annual March to the Arch is going on today to commemorate 9-11. One of the people taking part in it is Joe Burke, who is an air traffic controller here in St. Louis on 9-11. And uh, I believe he joins us now. Joe, you there? How you doing, Dave? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you so very much for uh, for talking to us today. So are you walking right now as as we speak? Yeah, we're down here by uh, Forest Park, down here by WashU, getting ready to turn down, uh, I guess it's going to be Lindell, so we're about, uh, I guess, about eight more miles to go to the arch. How you feeling? I'm good. i got a little blister on my left foot, but other mm-hmm. than that, I'm feeling good. Good man. What, kind of, what kind, of, what kind of crowd the you got out there today doing the walk? Uh, this is the first time I've done it, and they said it's the smallest one they've seen, probably about uh, maybe 70 people. That's too bad. We'll have to we'll have to help promote that next year. Uh, Joe, I would love it if you would just tell me your 9-11 story, and then we'll jump in with questions and comments. But being in such a rare position in the air traffic control there in St. Louis on 9-11, please tell me your story. Yeah, um, I worked in the, in the radar room, which is the Tracon, so not, not up in the tower. So we worked arrivals, departures, and out of Lambert and some smaller airports around St. Louis. But... Uh, that morning after it all happened, you know they closed the they closed all the airspace. Every plane had to land at the closest airport. There were a lot of planes up in the air that morning, mm-hmm. and uh, so we had to had to get them all on the ground. It was very very hectic. Um, probably lasted a good solid hour of nonstop arrivals going into Lambert. I mean, there were so many planes that landed. There was no gates for them. People were stuck on planes for hours. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, back then it was before, and there were cell phones back then, but there was not a lot of them. So a lot of people didn't know what was going on in the planes. Uh, the pilots, they were, they were, you know, asking a lot of questions that we didn't have answers to. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was something else, something to be seen. Joe, to but, what, uh, to what degree had you guys contemplated something of this scope and to what degree had you, uh, practiced it and trained for it <laughs> no it's just air travel is run by the FAA they don't they don't plan too far ahead but no there was no no such training for something like this wow uh no whatever I mean planes I mean we had procedures for hijacks but that's usually a plane they want to go to some other city and you know they would try to accommodate the people but this was this was different people yeah flying planes in the buildings that was unheard of till that day so it's crazy so once the dust had settled uh, and and you and and your fellow air traffic controllers and people you know adjacent to what you do, once the dust had settled and you looked at your performance, obviously it's a terrible reason to have to test yourself. But did you look at it and say, we did that about as well as we could have? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, back then, 2001, Lambert was a busy place. So we, a lot of planes in and out, we were, we were used to, um, you know, working busy traffic, but this was this was above and beyond that. I mean, there was way more planes in the airspace that's around St. Louis than, than we've ever seen before. Um, but you know, for myself, yeah, I mean, everything I thought went pretty good. Um, other guys struggled, but you know, they got through it. Um, but um, yeah, it was it was it was something to be seen. 
And, it really was. And, and Joe, for all of us, every one of us have a story. Every one of us have memories of this. We've been affected in different ways. But here it is 22 years later. You're out there walking, you know, from Mike Duffy's down to the arch. Um, in what way did it affect you in particular, given your position on that day, do you think? Uh, I was wanting to do this, uh, but life life happens and you, you you can't do it for whatever reason. But this year I just wanted to do it. Um, you know, pay my respects. So this is a this is a great a great support from the community on this. There's people just everywhere along the road, waving, stopping their cars, getting out, hands on their hearts. Um, just the police, the fire department, the escort, just the whole way. I mean, it's just a it's just a great thing. I didn't realize all this was going to be like this. Yeah. Plus, they got rest stops and food, drinks nice. for us. I mean, it's just it's just a great great turnout. It's a small turnout, like I said earlier, but. It's a, it was a pleasant surprise. And Joe, so much changed for all of us, and certainly with air travel. Uh, if you can even encapsulate it, how did your job change post nine eleven? We had to do a lot of security stuff. Uh, you know, if, if you were talking to a pilot and they wouldn't they wouldn't answer, uh, they only had a certain amount of time to reestablish communications with us. And if not, they were actually. They would actually scramble fighters to go find out what's going on with this plane. Didn't happen quite often, but the procedures were set up to, if, if in fact we had planes that weren't talking to us for whatever reason, um, it was uh, it's pretty hectic stuff like that. But yeah. um, many many briefings over the years, policy changes as far as what you do when this happens or that happens. So it was just, I mean, you look at the airports; they're still doing some of this stuff from. Like 22 years ago. Yeah. They got the shoes, the belts. I mean, it's still yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. But. Well, Joe, thank you for what you have done to keep us all safe in the air, what you did uh, on 9-11, what you're doing today, and thanks for calling in. We really appreciate you telling your story. Appreciate it, Dave. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, we need to get involved in that next year. Yeah, yeah. for sure. What an interesting perspective, too, just being in that line of work mm-hmm. what about something uh, like that's what he going said, on. Like, how much training did you have? And he's like, None. Because it was un- inconceivable, inconceivable at the time. Yeah, I, I was going to ask him what his emotional state was while they were landing on the planes, but he kind of answered it. He said he was fine, but he worked with guys that struggled. I just yeah. can't imagine compartmentalizing and just getting it done. Yeah, I'm sure that if there is a meeting and they said, hey, what if we had to land literally every plane in the air all mm-hmm. at once? Mm. Someone would be like, shut up, Ned. Yeah, it's yeah. never going to happen. <laughs> right. It's easy to, it's sort of like with the with the pandemic, like it's easy to look back on that stuff and go like, what do you mean you didn't even discuss a plan? But it's like, how do you even, yeah. how do you even conceive of something like that happening in your head? Do you guys think um, in 20 years on 9-11 we'll be doing similar things to this? To what degree do you think time is going to fade when uh, there will be people who more and more people who weren't even alive when it happened. Yeah, I mean, how many people? I mean, I mean this not as a in any way smart alecky, but how big a deal do we make of Pearl Harbor Day? Mm-hmm. Not much. Not much. Mostly for that reason, it's not that people don't recognize its significance and what it meant to so many people and what it meant for the country getting into World War II. But it's so long ago that nobody has the emotional attachment to it. I should say nobody. Fewer people do. And down the road, that's just going to become the case with 9-11, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. You, you see story after story now of 
kids, or I shouldn't say kids, young adults entering the military and enter, entering like the fire department in New York City that were born after the September 11th attacks. I watched a 60 Minutes uh, feature last night. Um, it was really interesting. They were focusing on the FDNY and how many children of firefighters that were lost in the September 11th attacks are working now. It was really inspiring hmm. and emotional. Yeah, I it was one of those days that I tend to take a fairly dour view of my fellow man and myself, to be quite honest. Uh, but that was one of those days, even looking back, where you think, I just can't believe I'm the same species as these people who are running up the towers. You yeah. know, it's like, I don't know that I'd do that. Mm -hmm. Especially so many of them knew that they weren't coming down. Yeah. I think that one thing that that displays is that we regular people are pretty cool, right? I mean, like, if that happened now, I don't think there's any question the response would be the same. Would be the same from the firefighters and the police and the policemen and the EMS drivers and anybody that would be involved in a first response, even knowing what happened on 9-11. I yeah. think today the response would be the same. And nobody would be thinking about who voted for who. Nobody would be thinking about what someone looks like. You're just going to go help people. Regular people are the best. It's the ones at the top end that are that ruin it for everybody else. Yeah, well said. I agree. 250 DGS. Okay, there's no doubt I'm in a weird mood today. Weird mood. I feel like I'm dreaming. Let's talk sports. I feel like sports is weird. Can sports be weird? Like the <laughs> I mean, NFL they kind of yesterday. Always are. The NFL yesterday. I don't even know what I'm watching. It's not <laughs> even the same game. Uh, uh, the, the the umpiring in the MLB. I swear to God, Andrew and I could do a better job of calling balls and strikes. What the hell is going on in the world and with sports? They've always been weird. They just change. The weirdness changes. Um, there, there's a lot. You know, when you're just talking. First of all, the go, starting with the NFL thing. It's week one. Early regular season football is not what it was 10 years ago. Nobody plays any of their regular players in the preseason anymore. So you're looking at guys, a lot of them have not, not only have they not played, think about it this way. Could you imagine coming out and playing a 60-minute football game without having played even a quarter so in the preseason? Is that to avoid injury? It's to avoid injury for sure, yeah. And it, it actually, in the end, is probably smart. Because if one of your star players gets hurt and blows out his knee in a preseason game and you don't have him all year, that's a worse penalty than being crappy in your first game. And if you watch football at all, September is a blank show. It's It's been really bad in the NFL for a while. It doesn't mean that everybody's bad equally, but they're sloppy. The officiating's not good. Um, there's always some new thing that people are focused on and complaining about too. And I noticed, and you mentioned the umpires thing, Dave. You know, the good ones are really good and the bad ones are so bad that you cannot get it out of your head. And they just tweaked the automated strike zone a little bit at AAA because they're trying to get it. It's not going to be ready for next year, but they're trying to tweak it so that it looks the way that you think it should in your head and not the way a computer reads it. So it won't be long. We won't have to do it. I, I would say within three, four years. Do you have any idea what happens? Uh, so I'm watching the Cardinals game. And the I think it was the the middle game, and the ump was so bad. I felt bad for him. He looked like a younger guy, but he was just he was just wrong so much. They go back and watch that, right? They have to have some sort of a little sit down to go like, "Hey, bu buddy, you missed twenty calls yesterday." 
Do they just police themselves? Basically, yeah, they get reviewed. But the problem with the review process, as I understand it, is it's very forgiving. So they give more leeway than what we see on the screen, right? We see that little box on the screen, and when the umpires are grading them, they've, they're given a certain bit of leeway in all, in all four quadrants of the strike zone. So if it's a little bit off what we see in that box and they call it a strike, that may not be outside of the range that's acceptable for them. Is the box a good idea? I think so. And I think with any, it's not perfect though. That's the problem is it's hard to get it right. Exactly. Sometimes the camera angles yeah, are off center a little if bit. I were watching the game without the box and it, it, he called a high strike. I'm not going to lose my mind over right, it. Right. But when I can see clearly this digital representation, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. It is, it is harder that way for, for the umpires. But I'm I'm big on getting everything right. I feel that way about the NFL, too. I don't know why they still spot the ball the way they do. Let's move a chain. How about this? Just use GPS, man. We'll know exactly where the ball was at every point on the field. We don't ever have to guess anymore. We don't ever need to see two guys run out there holding a chain, and they're, like, pinching the link where they started, and this is where it is. Like, come on, man. I mean, it's get, get it right. And show us what we're seeing. So why do they do both? Because, I mean, I was watching the U.S. Open this weekend, and they just they just got rid of line judges. They yeah. just have the, I think it's called the sensors. technology. Yep. Yep. So why does baseball use both? Is it just for the at-home viewer experience? Yeah, I mean, Hawkeye is the system that baseball uses, if okay. I got it right. It's the same technology. It's just set up a little differently for a ballpark. Um, and you could argue that it would be more accurate calling fair and foul calling balls and not, Hawkeye wouldn't be the same thing for strike zone. That's a different setup because it's got to factor in the height of the player and, and it's a three dimensional strike zone. It's not a two dimensional yeah. strike zone. So there's all that kind of stuff to go in there, but I don't think, I mean, if, if it works in tennis, which it has proven to work, nobody complains about it that I'm aware of. Nobody's like, damn tennis ruined because of this. It's accurate. It's going to be more accurate than the human eye is going to be. And I don't see why we would push back against it. Because if if in the end, this is one of the complaints that a lot of sports fans have about some of the instant replay reviews that aren't eligible. Um, all and again, it doesn't matter the sport. If the people watching on TV can see that it's wrong, then it should be fixed. Otherwise, don't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what confuses me. Right, right. Yeah. The 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 both thing, like the strike zone. If you're gonna put the box up there. And let everybody think that everything's wrong. That's not good for your sport. Either get rid of that or yeah. fix it. We only have 20 seconds left in the segment, but Mark's calling in saying minor league has a system for challenging balls and strikes. Yes, they do. Yeah, they're working on it. So there's two ways that they've they've tried it. They've tried where it's just automated, fully automated, no big deal. And then they've tried it where it's kind of the halfway down the middle where a, a batter, and, they're, and I'm not sure how they limit it, like how many times you can do it. But where a batter can say, "Nope, that ball, that call was wrong. I want to challenge it," and I mean, then they can do of, it. Like George Rosenthal, people lose their jobs because of AI. Umps have to be <laughs> sweating, saving their money. <laughs> I mean, how many more seasons can they even be there? You still need them for safe and out. You still need them to adjudicate rules and things like that. So there would still be a home plate umpire, even with an automated strike zone, and he'd still be making the call. He would get the tone in his ear, ball or strike, and then he would signal the call. But you need him more for safe out for some of the more complicated rules, interpretations, and all that. So they won't go anywhere, uh, but they would have that part of their job taken back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 